Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. You are listening to a Kol Nidre sermon by Rabbi Adam Kligfeld. So you know the one about the guy who is at Kol Nidre services and he hears so many people nearby him crying so guiltily during their alchets that he starts to feel jealous about all the things they did in the past year. That's the whole joke. So whisper your alchates. People might be listening. There's been a real heavy, ponderous question on my mind all year. And that is, can I squeeze one more high holiday sermon out of my gimpy shoulder? Yep. Here's a story in a nutshell, for those of you who don't know it. Very briefly, in June of 2018, Erev Shabbat, on the way back from a bike ride, had a bike failure, flew into a pole, dislocated my shoulder in a few places, had surgery, and had a tremendously slow and painful recovery. Took a long time. I was in pain that I couldn't really have fathomed beforehand, and it sent me on a year of thinking about what pain actually is. And I saw an army of doctors and Western approaches and Eastern approaches and every type of alternative therapy and acupuncture and acupressure and sensory deprivation float tanks. And here is where I stand a year and four months later. I'm still in pain every day in ways that are not apparent. And I live my life as if I am not. As if. Ki'ilu in Hebrew. I'm in pain, and I lift my child and play tickle-tackle with him as if I am not. Ki'ilu. I'm in pain, and being assured that there's no risk of further injury causing more pain, I throw a frisbee, and I ride my bike for miles, and I hold on to my favorite rope swings and my favorite hikes as if I'm not in pain. If I didn't live my life as if I were not in pain, I would not live my life, period. Or I wouldn't be living my life. And I have found within limits that by living ki'ilu as if I am not in pain, I am actually in less pain. Ki'ilu. As if. There is some magic to it. In some ways, that's the entire sermon. So please turn to page 445. <laughs> a round of applause erupts from this the synagogue. It's done. It's done. Thank you. <laughs> it's a contract year, so a short sermons. Judaism. Judaism leans deeply into what I will call keiluism, that space that hovers between magical and deluded thinking. It's a space where memory is material, where chronology folds on itself, where the impossible is not only possible, but within your reach. The most well-known and literal dip into living and celebrating as if is not on Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur. 
But on Pesach, we say the words. Right after Dayenu, the Haggadah famously says, Bechol dor vador, in every generation. Chayav adam, a person is obligated. Lirot et atzmo, to see herself, ki'ilu, as if. Hu yatsa mimitzrayim. She herself left Egypt. Every generation, each person has to see himself or herself as if they left Egypt. It's a preposterous reverie because you didn't leave Egypt. But you must see yourself as if you did. And if you do not engage in this backward-forward illusion, then Pesach will, ahem, have passed over you. Sorry. What's the point of the Paschal as if? There are numerous, numerous commentaries. Maimonides, the Rambam, the 12th century philosopher, scientist, legalist, and ever the rationalist, he could not abide this game. He thought of it as a deceit. You cannot see yourself as you aren't. You can't. You didn't leave Egypt. So you cannot see yourself as if you did. He had no time for metaphor, the Rambam. So he added one Hebrew letter, which changes the word lirot, to see, to leharot, to show yourself. It's not inane to pretend. It's just inane to believe your own pretending. That it's just delusion. So dress up, you would say. Tell the story. Show yourself as if you left Egypt, even though we all know and you know that you didn't. Now, a lot of my Judaism is influenced and enriched by Manadean thinking and philosophy. And yet, if I understand what he's trying to say here, I strongly disagree. Because I think that you can see yourself as, you're, as you aren't, or as you weren't, or as you aren't yet. And in seeing yourself that way, I have found that you can actually be that way. Ki'ilu. Others read the text to say that by taking the Israelites out of Egypt then... God ensured that we now would not be enslaved. And so God did take us out of Egypt. Magical thinking, borderline deluded, and also so powerful and so resonant. It's a read of the Haggadah and it's a read of time and of history that has us living then, even though we're really living now. And it imagines them in the past, living in and for the future. And it all starts with a ke'ilu. Ki'ilu lives in our religious space from the esoteric to the exceedingly intimate. Mircea Eliade was a 20th century Romanian scholar, spent most of his career at the University of Chicago. And his most notable and beloved and famous book is one that was mysteriously entitled The Myth of the Eternal Return. The Myth of the Eternal Return. He discusses myth as playing a central role in religious fantasy and meaning-making. It's part of religious truth. And the eternal return is a belief expressed through behavior that one is able actually to be in and to live through and to return to a mythical age. When we open the doors to the ark on Shabbat, we are not remembering Sinai, acting it out. We are at Sinai. When we eat dinner next week in our sukkah, we are not commemorating a desert journey. We are the ones journeying, just like the Israelites, who probably had construction paper chains just like we do. (laughs) 
And when we recite and act out the service of the high priest in the Holy of Holies, as we will do in this very spot tomorrow, we are not in a dramatic reenactment. According to this theory, we have transcended time, and we have transcended space, and we are there, and we are then, even as we are here and now. We have transcended self. We have transported self, or both. We've burst past the normal limits of utter reality. We are, in a sense, living ki'ilu. Our rituals would be so denuded, so watered down, nothing more than ceremonies at a fraternal lodge, if we did not all suspend some disbelief a little bit and live as if. Outside the religious sphere, healthy relationships, too, rely on some ki'iluism. Every engaged couple I meet with, including some in this room, have heard my spiel about bashert, that wonderful but also, I think, devious Yiddish term that gets thrown around when speaking about love and weddings. Bashert is usually taken to mean fated, as if my spouse was given to me by God. It's a Yiddishization of a Hebrew Talmudic term, Zivug min hashamayim, literally a match from the heavens. The only problem with the idea is that it is ridiculous <laughs> and totally false, and it can lead to outlandishly unfair expectations of the other. If you are my perfect God-given partner, then how dare you disappoint me? And if there is tension simmering in a Bashert relationship, it pushes against the definition of it. And then partners search for new, elusive perfections elsewhere. I prefer the notion I learned from my Saba, the great and sorely missed Rabbi Bernard Kligfeld, who said, let's redeem Bashert and use it this way. Your contract, your covenant under the chuppah is to act towards your partner as if, ke'ilu, he or she was given to you by God. That is what he or she deserves. So if you want to use that term to animate your highest and holiest behavior in the bond, that's wonderful. Act as you would as if your partner was given by God. As if God, God's self, had left the toilet seat up just for you. <laughs> for example. And that also helps us retranslate zivug min hashamayim, the kind of relationship has a tra- chance of being a truly heavenly bond. Ki'ilu, living into a myth, like the one that says your partner is God's gift, or the one that says that your shoulder doesn't hurt. It can help turn that myth into reality. Im tirtsu einzo agada. If Herzl had not dreamt ki'ilu, Had he been a pure realist, there'd be no Israel. If you love your beloved as if she already loves you as much as you dream, there's more potential in that bond. And if you love your children, ki'ilu, they already earn that love with their every deed and every word. If you love them that way, they will be so blessed. And if we lacked the dreams of those who live out as if-ism, this room never happens. Now, there's another side, because Ki'iluism, like anyism, has traps and pitfalls. Living as if can slide into settling, settling for a personal status, even though you deserve better, 
settling for a societal situation that actually needs real attention. For instance, I have the benefit, the privilege, if you will, of kieluing my shoulder because my life is not at stake and because the pain I do have is manageable enough that I can as if myself around it. And I would not take or suggest that stance if one were lacking reasonable use of a limb or suffering from unreasonable and intolerable pain. I would say stuff ke'ilu and do everything possible to change the reality. Living as if can validate ignoring your own pain and it can validate ignoring others' pain. It can pull you into lassitude and it can pull you away from empathy because it's so easy and so relieving to live ke'ilu. There were no homeless living in destitution within feet of this grand sacred abode. We would be religiously derelict to ignore that, to live as if. To live ke'ilu as if our environment were okay, as if stewarding this one inhabitable celestial rock was not a profound mitzvah, one of which none of us performs as well as we should, to live with that ke'ilu would be terrible. To live as if we were not deforesting way too much of our oxygen-producing square footage and square mileage. To live as if plastic were not a scourge. To live as if enslavement to big oil and addiction to carbon emissions were not sullying our ecosystem in some ways forever. That's Ki'iluism perverted in my mind. That's, it. That's as if-ism as a sin for which we need to beat our chests and beg forgiveness. This shadow side of Ki'ilu is everywhere you look. Everywhere a sentient human conveniently, unconsciously, sometimes willfully makes reality simple so as to avoid duty and hard work and conflict. Like the following caricaturized pronouncements, right? I live my Zionism, Ki'ilu. There were no thorny questions or competing claims to the land of Israel as if there were no Arabs, no Palestinians, but there are. Or I live my Judaism and I lead my synagogue as if there were not tectonic shifts happening in American Jewry that jeopardize the very notion of a viable synagogue, but there are such shifts. I parent my child. I lead my school. Ki'ilu, bullying is not real or not as bad as the kid claims it to be. Some of you may have heard the absolutely tragic story out of Moreno Valley a few weeks ago, a community just 60 miles east of us. Apparently two or three kids, honor roll kids, were taunting and bullying a classmate. One of the bullies sucker punched the kid, and while he was reeling, another bully walloped him from the side, and he fell to the ground, and he hit his head on a pillar, and he was 13 years old, and he died a few days later. The story is traumatic as is. What adds a level of pain and what implicates ke'iluism as a truly fatal flaw sometimes is that it had come out that the school authorities were made aware of this bullying, made aware of these bullies, and didn't do anything or certainly didn't do enough. And for the rest of their lives, the parents of that murdered boy will incriminate the school district for living as if the problem were not as bad as it was. People are hurt and worse all the time when as if-ism is misemployed. 
But when it's employed properly and strategically and spiritually and relationally and religiously and inventively and positively, it's a potent elixir. There's a newish video that's gone viral on Vimeo. It's hard to describe in words, so mostly I want to encourage you to look up The Bench after Yuntif on Vimeo. That's the name of the video, and watch it. And even if I give the punchline away now, because if I don't, then I don't have a story for this part of the sermon, <laughs> the short video packs a punch. It starts with an old man, clearly blind, sitting on a park bench on a sunny day. Another man in sunglasses sits next to him. The first man asks the new man to describe the day. What does he see? What's happening in this lovely park? And the second man does it. He looks around. He describes a mother playing with her daughter on the swings and the two lovebirds cuddling on the blanket and on and on and on and on. And as the second man speaks, you see the first man smiling, taking in the gift of sight offered to him by the first man. It's a very emotional scene. And then the punchline, the first man, the blind man, thanks the second man. And then you see the second man, a bit later, walk away from the bench, pull out his white cane as he starts tapping along in front of him. For he too is blind. So did he dupe the first man? It's a cynical read of the gripping video. I think he was harnessing living through Ki'iluism in the most life-affirming and life-giving way. Describing the world around him as if he could see it. He saw the world as he wanted to see it, as he wished he could. He conjured it. And then he invited someone to join him in it. Ke'ilu. But also very real. And doesn't every person who confronts any obstacle both need to acknowledge on the one hand the very obstacle and also navigate around it? A painful shoulder, lack of sight, an imperfect spouse, a religion whose myths and rituals challenge the intellect. And on today of all days, Yom Kippur, draped in white, many of us, like shrouds, not eating, like the non-living, the whole day is ke'ilu. As if we were just soul, nobody. As if we really took in our mortality. Ke'ilu, our banging our chest, really meant we were going to efface that sin this year, right here, right now. Is today really a death day? Not really. Not really, really. We are very much alive. But we have 25 hours of a ke'ilu orientation that adds gravitas to our observance. We spend this day in sacred mythology, as if we ourselves were the Kohen Gadol, as if something cosmic and transcendent were happening in the Holy of Holies in response to our rituals, as if it all really mattered. It's a useful and generative illusion both because we know it is partly illusion, and so we don't drown it, and we don't approach it with absolutism, and because the illusion kind of works. It hopefully ekes from us the seriousness of the day, so we are not, as Maimonides suggests, just putting on a costume and pretending. The dive into the non-reality of Yom Kippur helps make it real. Ke'ilu. If your shoulder still hurts every day, when you put on a shirt, and when you bow while resting your hands on the bima as you lead davening, if you push through that moment with ke'iluism, it hurts less, and life is more blessed. As Sharansky wrote about his magical thinking while incarcerated in the gulag, as Viktor Frankl wrote about what sustained him through the horrors of the Shoah, 
We cannot escape every prison. Some bars are metal and real. Some pains destroy life. Some illnesses end life. And no amount of ki'ilu can resolve that. And yet, this Jewish and universal wisdom helps us cope with something we cannot essentially change. But by coping with it in this way, ki'ilu, you can actually change it enough so that you live fully as if. Now, I'd like to, but I don't know the full stories of every person who is here tonight. I don't know the status of your shoulders or the physical, emotional, relational pains you are bringing. I don't know your years, your decades of living with them and trying to overcome them. And none of us knows what this year portends. But what if at least for the next 25 hours we were devoted to imagining you, yourself, your family, your relationships, both the ones that are intact and the ones that are broken? What if you imagine what you owe your community, what you owe the world around you? What if you imagine that through the lens of Ki'ilu, with the promise of as if? I'll end with a story. It's about a monastery in Europe, a long time ago. And once it was very successful, people would visit them from around the world. Guests would come and convalesce and learn how to still their own hearts by being on the premises. It's doing very well. But over time, the monastery fell in hard times. It could barely subsist after a while. No one really knew why. And the abbot went to visit a local rabbi to commiserate and to seek counsel. How do we find our spirit and bring it back to this place? The rabbi was quiet a little bit, and then he said, I don't really have any advice. The only thing I can tell you is that the Messiah is among you in your monastery. The abbot was befuddled, doesn't know what that means. He goes back to his monks who are similarly puzzled. Does it mean that one of us is the Messiah? If so, who? Might it be me? Might it be you? No answer. Impossible. But huge change. As the story goes, the monks started treating one another with extraordinary respect. Because who knows? It might be them. Is this the Savior? Is this the Messiah? And pretty soon it became magnetic. And the monastery became famous and prosperous and known for its quality of peacefulness and love. Known that way because of the power of Ki'ilu. Like the story on the bench, was it a farce? Was the new behavior inauthentic to their true selves? I don't think so. Living through Ki'ilu is not inauthenticity. It harnesses the power of the mind to be in an alternate reality, actually to be there. It has dangers, as we have named, but it's the same power, the same force that leads to imagination. And when you imagine something and you live as if, you participate in its becoming that very thing. Your Bashert might not be your Bashert for long, if you think she already is. But if you treat her as if she were, you might be that way for one another. And on a religious level, there are plenty of people who really believe that God wrote every word of the Torah, but they don't act that way. I would rather share the world and share community with those who don't know if they believe it, but they live their lives as if they do. When I heard the story of the monastery, I thought of my college friend, Alana Reese, one of the sweetest people I have ever met. In college, she once talked about how she acted towards someone new that she had met, and she said, who knows? He might be the Mashiach. And we laughed at the time. 
and that inside joke is more than 25 years old. But she was right. Because what if we treated one another as if the other was the Messiah? Ke'ilu. Seriously. What if instead of waiting for the world and our bodies and reality to become what we want them to be, we imagine and live Ke'ilu, they are already that way. And in that way, we can just maybe transform our world and our shoulders. Have an easy fast. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.